What's hermeneutics? What are we doing this for? Why are we in here? Yeah, how to understand the Bible and know what it means, how to interpret it rightly. Somebody else? Kind of review. Think about think about how we have the how we got the Bible. How did the Bible come to us? Remember, God has these thoughts, and God revealed them. Remember, Revelation He revealed them to man, and then He inspired men to write down His words. And we 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 hold to a certain view of inspiration. What what view of inspiration do we hold to? Verbal, plenary view of inspiration, which means what? God superintended. Yeah, both those are right. Yeah. God revealed His Word to a person, but used their personality to write down His very words. So they're both the author's words, the human author, and God's words without error. And we believe that in the original manuscripts that it was perfect in every way, down to the jot and tittle, to the smallest punctuation. The grammar patterns, it's all inspired. It's all God's Word, right? Um, so God in inspired men to write these, these words, right? And as we study the Scriptures... God illuminates our minds and helps us interpret the Scriptures. Why, we, why must we interpret the Scriptures? Why can't we just read the Scriptures and know the meaning? You've got to have context. Yeah, you've got to have context. And, and remember we talked about there's barriers. What, what barriers are there between us and cultural. cultural barriers? Yeah, there's a lot of things culturally that we, we don't understand exactly what else language, language bears yeah we we don't have we don't read the scriptures in hebrew or aramaic or koine greek right we read it in english it's been translated so there's a language barrier right anything else yeah there's literary barriers as well right how many of you really get into poetry besides bo Anybody else really get into poetry? Yeah, for me, poetry is a little bit difficult. Sometimes you scratch your head, right? How many of you read Ecclesiastes and don't scratch your head a little bit? Yeah, it's a little enigmatic. You know, yeah. Uh, but what God does to help with the Holy Spirit is He illuminates our minds as we study the Scriptures. And it's pretty much simultaneously helps us interpret the Bible, interpret the Scriptures. And what is our goal? Our goal is to determine the author's intended meaning. How many meanings are there in each text? One. And we're trying to find that one. Right? What did the original author mean when he wrote this? Okay? The meaning of the text is, de is determined by the author. It's discovered by who? By us. Yeah, the readers. Yeah. Um, so what are we doing? We're trying to understand the Scriptures. Right? And we talked about how we have to um, we have to bombard the text with, with questions to determine the context. 
Why, why is context important? What does it mean? What do we mean by context? Yeah, what comes before and after? Things like um, who wrote it, who they write it to, why they write it, when they write it. Yeah, all those things are important to help us understand the meaning of the text. Uh, no verse of scripture can be removed from the verses around it, right? Um, John chapter 12, real quickly turn to John chapter 12, verse 32. Context is really, really important. Context is absolutely crucial for us to interpret the Bible rightly. We have to understand the context of the, the text we're reading and studying. Okay? John 12, 32. Somebody read that when you get to it. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Okay, how's that been interpreted through the years? Universalism. Yeah, universalism. It's also been said that, hey, if we just praise the Lord, right? Charismatic sometimes will do this. We just praise the Lord, praise the Lord. What, what does God do? He used the praises of His people. To bring people to save in faith. You ever heard that? I've heard it. You ever heard that? What's the problem with that? What's the context? What does it mean to lift Jesus up? When he's lifted up, he'll draw them into himself. Lifted up means what? Yeah, look at look at um look at verse 33. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 33. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So it's real easy, right? If you just know the context, what is this actually talking about? We just need to know the context. That's just one really easy uh, example. Um, and there's context. There's both immediate context, the near context. That means the verses that come right before it. Maybe the paragraph before it, the paragraph after. And there's the far context or the distant context. What's that? Yeah, maybe the, the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book, and then the whole of Scripture, right? So there's near context, the verses that are right before it, right after it, in the vicinity, right? Within eyeshot of the, of the text, and then there's, when you have to start pay, turning pages, that may be the distant, more the distant uh, context. Um, so we must keep in mind that interpretation of a specific passage, it can't contradict the total teaching of Scripture on a point, Okay. Individual verses do not exist as isolated pieces but as parts of a whole. And we say all the time, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? All right. Um, I've heard it said we, we need to read the Bible more like a novel and less like a spiritual encyclopedia, right? You got this, the story of redemptive history as a whole. All right, we need to read the Bible more like a novel than a spiritual encyclopedia. Each verse, each chapter and book are connected to a, a grand narrative, right? A, a big story of God, about God's salvation for His people, redemptive history, okay? All right, three things to look for um, when we're studying the Bible. And we said last week, we looked at these, uh, if you weren't here, one of the things when we're studying the Bible, we, wanna, we would just want to bombard the, the text with questions. We want to ask questions like, what are the questions we said last week? Do you remember? Who, what, when, why, where, right? Just, you're asking questions. Just 
Who, what, when, why, where? You're asking all these questions about the text, and we're going to do this. We're going to actually do this in a moment with the uh, actual passage. So we just want to bombard it with questions, be real curious, intuitive, and then we want to um, look for three things. One is things that are emphasized. Things that are emphasized, okay? Like, um, think about the amount of space a book gives to something or, or some topic. Um, for instance, like Genesis has 50 chapters. The first 11 teaches about creation, the fall, the flood, the Tyre Babel. And then you have Genesis chapter 12 through 50 that are devoted to the lives of four men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Um, what's, what's important about Genesis? Well, creation, all of that. But then you're like, man, that family, that's the beginning of the nation of Israel, right? That's important as well. Um, first, second Samuel, there's three characters, Samuel, Saul, and David. Which character is mentioned most? Who gets most ink spilled about them? Gonna be David, right? Yeah. What's that tell you about the purpose of First and Second Samuel? Well, David's the most important character there. Um, sometimes the point is emphasized by being stated. John chapter twenty, verse uh, thirty, thirty-one. It tells us the the what the Gospel of John is about. You may know that text. I write these things so that you may be, be, be believe that. Yeah, and, and then you may have life in his name. So there's sometimes it's explicitly stated, Mark chapter 1, verse, verse 1, the same thing. It's about the gospel of Jesus, right? Um, so sometimes it's stated explicitly. So we just want to look at what's emphasized, okay? Um, also, what's repeated. We learn through repetition, right? Now, there's some of you. Mickey, he can hear something and remember it. John's got a little bit of that too going on. Um, he could just hear something and remember it said, you know, and he can quote it later. I kind of asked Mickey about if I can keep him awake. I joke, I remember everything I'm preaching, but I just got to keep him awake. But he can. I can. I can ask him about something. He can just remember. You know, most most of us don't have that type of memory, um, but most of us we learn by repetition, right? Um, and so God uses that technique as well. Okay, He repeats words and phrases. Um, in um, Revelation, first couple chapters, he's writing this, this John's, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit's writing his letters to the seven churches, right? He, he says over and over again, He who has an ear, let him hear. Uh, and then he also says, To him who overcomes. He says that over and over again. So, what's the Lord wanting uh, those in these seven churches to do? He's wanting to pay attention, right? He's wanting them to persevere, right? Yeah, it's repeated over and over and over and over, right? Hebrews 11. What's repeated in Hebrews 11? Yeah, by faith, by faith, by faith. Um, what's the writer emphasizing? All these people who lived it during different times, what are they doing? They're, they live to please the Lord because they lived a, a life characterized by faith, right? Um, yeah. What's repeated? Is it words? Is it phrases? Sometimes it's incidences. The book of Judges. What's repeated in the book of Judges? Do you remember? Do you remember the cycles? Yeah, and yeah, what, what happened when, when, when... Yeah, there's like, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Um, 
Yeah, that's, that's an incident that's repeated over and over again. This cycles through in the book of Judges. Um, there are things repeated. There are also things compared and contrasted. Um, it goes back to kind of English grammar. Similes. What's a simile? Comparison using? Like or at. Like or at. Yeah, that's, that's all the homeschool mamas. They've been teaching that, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it, it's comparing things using like or as. First um, Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, right? So Peter compares a baby's thirst for its mother's milk to that of a believer for the Word of God. Like a newborn baby, right? Things that are compared and contrasted using similes. Um, Psalm 42.1, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Okay? He compares his thirst for God to a hot, thirsty deer. Uh, this is my favorite proverb, uh, Proverbs 11.22, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. What's Solomon saying? He's comparing a beautiful woman without good judgment, right, to a, putting a, having a, a pig with a gold ring. What a waste, right? Yeah. So you have similes and you have metaphors. Metaphors are comparisons. Well, yeah, not using like her ass. Yeah, he's a homeschooled daddy. <laughs> um, yeah, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the lie. Yeah, Jesus painted a picture that illustrates only through trusting in Jesus can one have a relationship with the Father, right? All right. Um, and, and biblical writers... They also uh, use contrast. Proverbs does this a lot. Proverbs 12, 22, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in men who are truthful. The word but, right, is, is really important in the Scriptures. It's contrasting two different things. Okay, So you need to stop and ask when you see the word but, what's being contrasted here? Okay, and So we're, we're looking, we're asking about, we're talking about asking all these questions when we read the text. We're talking about we're looking for, for things that are, you know, repeated, things that compare to contrasted, uh, things that are emphasized. Um, and most of our time when we study the Scriptures is going to be in this, we call it the observation phase, right? You have observation, interpretation, and application. Most of the time when you're studying the Scripture is going to, you're going to spend in observation, Okay. Um, the more spin in observation, the better, okay? Um, here's, here's where we are now. Um, and I ask you to, to look at this text. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Or just turn to Philippians, okay? Um, now, when we, when we go to study a, a book of the Bible, we talked about things we needed to do. One thing we need to do is what? First thing I do if you're going to read, we're going to study the book of Philippians. What, what should you do? Yeah, you should pray. We should read prayerfully, right? What might we pray? Yeah, Psalm 119, right? Clear my mind. Hope my eyes I may see wonderful things in your law. Not, I don't want to look to the Bible to support what I already think. I want to 
come to the bottom yeah. of the claim. And he said it much more eloquently because he said we need to be a blank sheet of paper every time mm-hmm. we open the Bible for the Lord to write on us, not for yeah. us to take our thoughts to be validated by this. We're to be submissive to this. Yeah, we, we all come to the Bible with presuppositions. You can't just... It's hard not to have... But we talked about this last week a little bit. We want to be, we want to be exegetes, right? We want to do exegesis and not eisegesis. Exegesis is we come to the text to understand the text, to learn from the text, right? And eisegesis is what? Yeah, come to the text to find something to support what we already think or already know, right? Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's a good point. But it is hard. Lord, teach me. But we need to pray. Lord, we need to be prayerful. So we need to be prayerful. What's well, the second thing we need to do? If we're going to study a book of the Bible. Read it. Read it, read it from the beginning to the end. Read it, read it and read it several times. Read it multiple times. And as you read it, what you're going to do is you're going to bombard the text with questions. So if you're going to read a book, say Philippians, we're about to read the whole letter real quickly. And I'm going to start reading and then when I stop, somebody else pick up. Look at me. Look at me. I don't know how it's to be clear about this. If you can't read very well, don't read. That's why you have a problem getting people to read. I'm just saying. Chris, you're a good reader, buddy. You read for me, will you? You can't see very well. You can't see. <laughs> um, there are some people that can read real well, and some people are like, yeah, I'm just not a really good reader. Okay, if you're a really good reader, it's okay. You don't have to read. Please don't. All right, we're going to try to get through this kind of quickly. What we're doing, what we're trying to do in here, and this is the part that you're not going to like, because you want principles. Tell me how to do it. But you're not re- you may not want to do it right now. You want principles. You want to learn a lot. You want to stick this information back there. Yeah, I'll use that one day when I, when I want to. No, we're going to do it right now. And that's the part you're like, eh, this isn't quite as fun. Well, maybe not, but we're going to learn how to study the Bible a little bit. Okay? So um, <clears throat> when we're reading, we want to ask all these questions. Who, what, when, why, where? What's emphasized, what's repeated, what's compared and contrasted. Because what are we doing is when we read through this book, Philippians, through the whole letter, we're going to read through it really quickly. What are we going to be doing? We're going to be trying to understand context. When you read through a book, you can understand who wrote this book, who they wrote it to, why they wrote it. Because a lot of times we use a, 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 a study Bible. Is that ESV study Bible? NSB, but it's a study Bible? Yes, yeah, but we have a lot of study Bibles, and they're awesome. They're great. We used to not have study Bibles. We used to have Bible handbooks. What they did is they took a Bible handbook and put it with the Bible, and now you have a study Bible. And they're great. They're awesome. But you don't have to have a Bible, Bible handbook. A lot of times, if you just read through the text, we just like stuff like that, where this, you know, internet, right at our fingertips, find all this information. If we just spend some time and read through the book, read through the book, and like Philippians, you can read it in just a few minutes. Somebody time us. It won't take you very long to read it if you have good readers. If you're not a good reader, it might take you a little while, all right? But we don't want you reading tonight. Um, but we're going to read through the book, read through the book, and some of you already have a lot of information. Pooza, she studied Philippians three or four or five times. She knows a lot about Philippians, right? All right? Um, but... So when we read this book, what we're doing is we're, we're, try, we're gathering information. We're trying to understand context. What's this book about? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? Just all the background information that's going to help us understand God's Word written through the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Okay? 
So we're asking questions. We're asking questions about Philippians, okay? Let's read it together. Um, let's read it together. Are you with me? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we just learned there's a lot right there. A lot of information right there, okay? All right, we'll come back to that. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and, com and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Somebody jump in there real quick. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out to my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, sh which, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but more more, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or, or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to deal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, <clears throat> and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may hold of that which I, which also I lay hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. 
Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who step, set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to sub subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want or have for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled, and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share your with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Good. Thank you all for reading. Now, when we're, we're looking at the epistles, okay, Paul's epistles, one of the things you can do is you can cheat by uh, looking at the book of Acts. While we look at the book of Acts, is we're going to study Paul's epistles. Does it tell us about where he <clears throat> Yeah, the book of Acts tells us about how these churches started. So what I would do is I would read Acts chapter 16 on Paul's second missionary journey. You remember he went to Philippi and there was no synagogue there, so where did he go? To the river. Yeah, well, there's a woman wearing purple. 
No, she was actually sold purple cloth, right? I just figured she, she wore it because she was selling it, right? Marketing, you know. Uh, Lydia was there, right? And then, she, uh, anyway, cool story. Uh, Paul got put in jail, and uh, that was a good thing for the Philippian jailer because he, he and his whole household were saved, right? Um, neat experience there. On his second missionary journey, he actually went back there to visit again. But I would read those sections as well. It kind of tells us a little bit about how he knew these people, okay? And then what I would do is just I would write down these things that we, I would ask these questions, okay? So let's ask these questions and uh, answer them. We start with who. Who wrote the book? Paul and Timothy, right? Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus. Uh, who'd they write it to? <clears throat> yeah, one one, all the saints of Philippi. Um, Paul and Dadley, he knew them before, right? Of course, we already said that from the second missionary journey. They were partners in the gospel work, right? Chapter, five, chapter 1, verse 5. What was Paul's attitude towards these folks? Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 8, he loved them, right? And did they love him? Yeah, he's their father in the faith, right? Uh, and he, he helped them. Not only did he, did he, was he their father in the faith, but what did he do? He, he relied on them. They helped him in his work, right? Chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Okay. Um, <clears throat> What's the genre? What is this? Yes, yeah, a letter and it's an epistle. Um, we know who it was addressed to, and this is just kind of the greeting and all. That's just how they wrote letters. We we would say, um, <clears throat> I would write, uh, dear Lonnie. Da 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 da, and I would close the letter with, uh, thank you sincerely, Shane. Yeah, or something like that. They just wrote letters differently, and this is how they wrote letters. It's an epistle, right? Uh, what the, what's the atmosphere or the tone? Yeah, because what does he repeat throughout the letter? Rejoice and joy, right? Yeah. He actually says rejoice eight times, right? Yeah. So we're asking questions. Who, what? Uh, what's repeated? We just said that. Uh, what's the topic? You could say rejoice, right? Who, what, um, what, what? Any other questions? Who, what? Um, when was it written? Yeah, there you go. And it was written from prison. How do we know that? <clears throat> yeah, he tells us several times. He's in the slammer, right? Probably in Rome, right? Um, and you could read, um, Acts again, Acts 16. You could read Acts. kind of tells a little bit about that uh, timeline. Um, he was, uh, chapter 21, he was arrested in Jerusalem. Uh, he was taken to Caesarea because his life was in danger. You remember? They're going to bushwhack him, ambush him, right? Um, he was later transferred to Rome where he, he was under house arrest for two years. Probably where he wrote this book, most people would agree. Um, and then we asked why questions. Why was he, why was he in prison? Yeah. Yeah, look at um, verse 16. 
knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He was sharing the gospel. He got put in, the, in jail, right? You hadn't uh, put anybody in the jail lately for sharing the gospel, have you, buddy? Not aware of. Yeah. Better not. Um, <laughs> that calls for church discipline right there. What? That's church discipline right there, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and so and another question is just why was the letter written? Why was the letter written? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've been good to Paul, right? Helping him on his journeys. Well, who did they send to him? Epaphroditus with a gift. What was it? I don't know. Something good. He's thankful for it. Something helpful. Right? And so he, he's, it is a thank you. Very good. What else? Why else is he writing it? There's several reasons. Encouragement. Yeah, encouragement. Epaphroditus got sick. And when he sent him back, he sent him with a letter. Yeah. Let him know this is what happened. This is why I'm sending him back. Yeah. Not that he did anything wrong. And he wasn't great. I'm sending him back. Okay. Yeah, and let you know that he's okay because they loved him, mm -hmm. right? And they were concerned about him. Yeah, send him Epaphroditus back. Good. Any other? Yeah, you mentioned prison, but he also encouraged them uh, about unity, staying in unity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and actually there's two uh, ladies been having a little cat fight. Alright, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Who are they? Yeah. Yodi and Seneki. One of them was making fun of the other's name. They got into it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not true. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they want to uh, help these two sisters, right, who are quarreling. So there's a lot of reasons, right? It's not just like a little, one little reason. It's a bunch of these reading. But we, where do we get that from? Just reading through the text one time. If we read it again, Reagan, you're going to pick up more of those things. If you read it again, you're going to pick up more of those things. And what I usually do when I'm doing this is I've got a, I'm pen and paper. I used to do pen and paper all the time. Now I'm doing more, you know, putting it in the computer just so I can have it and it's easier to access and copy and paste and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you just every time you read it, you're just gathering more information and you're trying to understand the context, right? I mean, that's a lot of information, right? One thing you just said context because I think 413 is one of the most out of context. <laughs> you see it everywhere, but when you think yeah. about the context that it's written, you sit in the chain to a wall telling you yeah. to rejoice. And it says right before it, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. It makes it more than just a fortune cookie of encouragement. I can get past this task, I yeah. can accomplish this goal. It's Paul saying, I found the secret of facing plenty. I can do whatever this world throws at me through Christ. Yeah. And it's one thing if he's writing this, God's timing is perfect. He didn't write this when he was in a time of abundance. He wrote this while he was sitting chained with yeah. jail wall. Yeah. Because I'm thinking if I'm in Philippi hearing this and Paul's got a good life and I'm struggling, I'm thinking, well, yeah, you can do all things through him sure. because you're in a good sure. life. Yeah. It's hard to look at somebody in jail saying, defend the gospel, fight for the gospel, and rejoice. While he's in mm -hmm. worse place than I am. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yep. Here's just the reasons I just, yeah, he, to let uh, know Timothy would come soon, right? He's going to visit soon as well. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of information. We can understand the background of this book simply by reading through it and asking questions about the text. Context. That's what I mean by context. It's the background. It's going to help us understand the meaning of the text. Okay? Um, now, um, now, let's look at chapter 2. And what I would do, if, if we're, I, would, I would do this three, two, three, four times. Philippi, you can do it several times. Like the book of Daniel, we're about to start Daniel on Sunday. I read, I've been reading through Daniel a whole lot. You know, just reading through it, reading through it, reading through it, reading through it. Gathering information, picking up on things you didn't the first few times, you know. Um, now let's look at um, chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Shoot, are they out already? Okay, we got a break here. All right, this is what we're going to do. All right, <clears throat> we're going to, this is homework. We're going to, again, we're, and you're like, well, we didn't really do a whole lot here. But what we're doing is, we're not just, I'm not telling you, I said it from the very beginning, hey, this is how you do it, blah, 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 blah. No, we're actually going to do it. So next time we come here, it's chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Taking what we've already learned from the context, and then we're going to take all those who, what, when, why, where questions. We're going to look for things that are repeated, emphasized, compared, and contrasted, and we're looking at verses 1 through 11. Okay? And then we're going to do the same thing. We're just going to pick it apart. Pete apart. Uh, the, the books that I passed around, this guy here, Howard Hendricks, he, uh, in his hermeneutics class, he would, uh, at, at Dallas Theological Seminary, he would always uh, t tell his students, he'd give them homework, or find 50 things in this text. He would give them a certain text and 50 things. You know, and students are just like, man, I can't find 50 things. And he would come back and they would all share about what they learned. Said, okay, tonight, find 50 more. You're like, there's not 50 more things in there. You know, but it's like, hey, what was his point? He just wanted you to spend time with the text. Because the problem with us is understanding the Bible is we don't spend time with the text. That's our biggest problem. Why don't we understand the Bible? We just don't spend time with the text. Now, there's difficult text, of course, right? Chase is going to preach Daniel 9. That's a difficult text. Don't we shake your head, boy? <laughs> now, there are difficult texts in the Bible, but I'm telling you the reason we don't understand the Bible better is because we don't spend time with the text. And that's just the way we are. We like drive-through. We like delivery pizza. We like, you know, pie crust already. You, pie crust you can buy. That's just the way we are, you know. But with the Bible, we just need to spend time with the Bible. So Philippians chapter two, verse one through eleven. Who, what, when, why, where? What's repeated? What's emphasized? What's compared and contrasted? We're going to come back and and let's. We're going to get on the whiteboard or the glass board next time, and we're going to write those things up there, and just walk through that. Okay. Any questions about that? And then from there, we're going right into interpretation. We're not going to do interpretation until we do observation. And I've got two guys I, I meet with on Tuesdays, and uh, it's funny. We started doing this, and they want to jump into, hey, this is what this means, and this is how we can plot our lives. I'm like, I, that, that wasn't what I asked you. That's not what we're, you know, that's, we want to immediately go there because that's kind of how we are operate, you know, we, our mind operates. But let's slow down a little bit, and let's take a look at the text. What is the text saying? And that's kind of what you're doing. You know, in the, the inductive Bible study questions we use, the first question is, what does the text say? Kind of summarize it, put in your own words. That's kind of where we are here. We just want to see what it says, right? We want to pick it apart. And then, um, and in the end, what I usually do is I usually summarize it. So anyway, here's some good books. Appreciate you.